relationships can be sticky, there's no doubt about that. What do you do when your relationship gets a little questionable and you have to confront your friend? We're going to listen to Adrian Chuck and some of our other friends that we've met in Northwest Arkansas and hear what they do and how they've handled that in the past. More than once. Yeah, in fact, that's really uh, what this group was all about, was expressing uh, not only our needs, but the needs of one another. Yeah, I have. She's got um, a little girl. And sometimes I don't think that she always makes the right choices with her. And being that there's other people involved besides her, I think that she should know that. Yeah, I've told her before, you know, I think that you shouldn't be doing this with her, and I think you shouldn't have this around her or whatever. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, a couple of days ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and it was a, a friend um, and somebody that I work with and being able to tell her something hard that she didn't want to hear about herself. Um, it's always kind of hard because you want to then look at yourself as well and go, well, you know, I don't meet the perfect standard. How do I hold her up to it? But it's something that she needs to know. It's something that will make her better, both now and in the future. I'm usually very brutally honest. I think if you lie, it doesn't help them out in the long run. You should always be honest. Because you're not helping them any by lying. It's just going to make them blind to what the truth is. Oh, you know, I have, yeah, several times. I talked about it's either, it's either a, you know, a positive or non-positive. Well, yeah, we, we have those kind of conversations, and, and they'll listen to you. And they may agree or not agree. Well, they don't want to, people don't like to hear the truth. They don't want to know. But in the long run, they'll probably thank you for it. They're like, well, I'm glad I know that now. Yeah, yeah, their, their heart is in the right place, but sometimes you don't want to hear what they have to say. Yeah, she was actually the one who did that to me, you know. We are there for each other. She came to me and told me, she says, you know, um, the guy I was dating at the time, she's like, I really don't think he is good for you, you know. She says, I think that you should really reconsider it. Uh, yeah, I've guessed it several times. And I think it's, it's got to be a two-way street. Almost every day I get something, but... It makes me who I am. It makes me a better person. Like, if someone tells me, you need to get your stuff straight, you need to straighten yourself up, I'll, I'll listen to that. I won't, I'll, like, I'll think I'm fine. But if someone's coming to me with that, then that means there's probably a problem and I need to fix it. Just, just very recently, uh, I, was, uh, I was in a, in a bad place in the way that I was handling a situation. And uh, my son and a friend came to me and were, were, it's the first time in probably three years that I'd had that happen. And it was painful because you don't want to hear things that are not good about yourself. Well, yeah, I can take, I can take criticism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, they punched me in the gut in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's... Again, that goes to the whole loyalty thing, uh, and it goes to the whole being real. Like, I don't want somebody that um, that's just going to tell me what I want to hear, that's just going to say, I ran in your cool guy, no problems, no issues, when, you know, if I do something stupid, I do something that I need to be, you know, reprimanded for, reproved for, I need to be corrected on, you know, as much as it hurts, it makes you, that makes you a better person going through that. Game rules. Don't you love them? This is the Connect Four game rule. I'll tell you what. You get this out. You begin to read it. The poetry of it. The beauty of it. How it's organized. It's even in Spanish. And you can just read it. And it just draws you in. And you pick up this game. And, and you just can't wait to, to, to just read it. Right? No. How many of y'all play a game before reading the instructions? 
Alright, you try to figure it out. You'd love to have somebody in the group that already knows how to play it so you don't have to. But you know what I, one thing I noticed? I was, every one of these games, and I just went through an inventory and our family likes playing games, is, uh, they have, they all have rules. Every single one of them. This one's tattooed, excuse me, on the cover. I mean, you can't, if you lose the box, you lose the game, you lose it all. You gotta have the rules. But man, we don't tear this thing open and say, now where are the rules? Where are the rules? You don't do that. I mean, you go to the game, first of all. I thought about other games that we have here. This is one of our, our family's favorites, 10 Days in Africa, and it's just a geography thing. But it's got beautiful rules on glossy paper, and we just kind of put the box aside and read the rules. Isn't it just wonderful? It's glossy. It's pretty. It's got pretty pictures on it. And that's how we play it. Now, here's, a, here's another game that, that we have, and you can see how much we like the rules. Uh, I bought this on sale at Walmart, and I opened it once before. Um, but it was on sale, and it was so good, I didn't want to take the stuff out of the wrappers. We haven't even played it. I mean, it's a good deal. And it comes with beautiful instructions again. Every single game comes with instructions on how to play it. And this one's even, this one's, I really like this one because this one even tells you how to win the game. Winning the game is, is just as important as knowing how to play the game. What does a win look like? I'm being kind of stupid. They don't talk about, oh, we get the game for the instructions. We get the game because we enjoy the glossy paper and the colored pictures. You don't get the game for the, for the instructions. In fact, probably... You don't read the instructions or you lose the instructions and you, you remember the game from the time you were at your friend's house and you played it. And everybody laughed and everybody had a good time. You get the game and you play the game not because it has glossy colored instructions but because it has fun involved in it. And it's wrapped up in fun and you laughed till you cried. And, but you know what? One of the things I have learned is that you can't play these games in some kind of relativistic kind of way. That I'm going to play 10 days in Africa, but I'm going to make up my own rules. You know, I'm going to do it my own way. And you can't be a pluralist either and take the, the rules of Trivial Pursuit and play 10 days in Africa with these rules. They don't go together. All right? It's not that you make up your own rules, and it's not that you get to, in, in, in the games, switch and match and find the rules that you like. These rules, rules were given to us in these games for one reason. Because this game was made to be played this way, and when you play the game by the rules of that game, you will have optimum enjoyment. In fact, have you ever played a game and you get into the heat of the game, and then it comes to a controversial issue in that game, and then you end up fighting over that game. And you've lost the rules, and you don't know who's right or wrong. Well, I played it this way at this person's house. Well, I played it this If you've done that, raise your hand. All right? Have you ever played catchphrase? I love catchphrase. That's one of those games that you can cause a lot of men and women to argue with each other by how long you hold the buzzer before you pass it on, right before it goes off. I mean, there's tricks to the trick. And so you've got to establish the rules before you get into the game. And if you don't get the rules right, if you don't know the rules, if there aren't any rules, then you have anarchy. Then if you don't have the rules and you don't know the rules, then you never know if you really win. Games come with rules. You can't get away from it. In fact, we're playing a game right now. We're playing a game that I want to call time. See, God of all the universe stepped out somewhere in His infinite wisdom and decided, though He has always been and will always be, and that just really blows my mind because nothing in our world is always and forever and without end and without beginning, but our God is without end and without beginning, and somehow He decided to create this game called time. And he created it in the space of eternity. And he said, okay, I'm going to put a book in here, and I'm going to put a book in here, and I'm going to call this time. I'm going to create this thing, and I'm going to create it and call it the universe. That's the game board. The game board is the universe. The game pieces, we're going to call them people. All right? And we're going to put these game pieces out there, but I'm not going to shuffle them around like a checkers on the checkerboard. I'm going to give them a wheel. I'm going to give them a volition. I'm going to give them emotions. I'm going to give them an awareness. I'm going to give them these things. And then I'm going to watch these, these, these pieces of my puzzle, of my game, operate in this, in this place called time. And then all of a sudden at the end, I'm going to call it quits. 
And I'm going to put the game up. I'm going to put the game board up. But I'm going to keep the game pieces. Because I love them a whole lot. And he's going to keep the game pieces. And he's going to remember the game pieces. The thing is, is that even in this game called time, called life, there are rules. You operate inside of these rules. If you don't operate inside the rules, everything kind of falls apart. I mean, think about it. There's natural laws. There's natural rules out there. You can't get away from them. What is this called? What goes up must come down. Gravity. There's a law of thermodynamics. I can't explain it to you. I couldn't pass a test on it today if you put it in front of me. But I do know that there's a lot of laws out there that I've picked up in life that I have figured that there are cause and effects. There are laws out there that I need to pay attention to. Otherwise, I will get hurt. If I go up to a red-hot burner and I stick my hand on that burner, I will learn that there is a natural law going on there that is not comfortable. Now, if I operate inside of the rules and the laws of the natural world, then my life will be lived to the optimum. If I decide to take my speeding car and run it into something, I will learn that there are physical laws, natural laws, that go into play that says your body can't survive that. Natural laws make up our world. They're also supernatural laws. Now, it takes some people a little bit, a little bit more time to get some of these laws down. But you can't get away from the supernatural laws any more than you can get away from the natural laws, the natural rules out there. I want to talk today, when we're talking about connecting and we're talking about games, I want to talk about three rules of the rules. Now, three rules of the rules are if I understand three axioms or three rules, then I can understand and play inside the realm of the natural and the supernatural. But if I don't understand these three rules of life, then I, can't, I won't do very good over here in the rules of the regular everyday life. So you've got to get these down. Now we're in the midst of this study through uh, looking at the life of David. David was a great guy. He's kind of our lab rat. We're looking at him because he, he lived life in an optimum kind of way. He made some mistakes. He learned about some of these rules, and we'll talk about them. But as you think about David and his life, He is kind of the person who went from a shepherd boy to a king. Now, how do you go from being a shepherd boy to a king? He is obviously living an optimum life if he goes from being a shepherd boy to all the way up to being a king. And I want to know about what was it about that. And I think there's several things that made up David's success in life. One of those is that he had the right heart. There's no doubt about that. His heart was bent toward God. There's no mistaking that he had a, a heart that was, that was in tune with God. In fact, he says in, in scriptures that he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. And, and also it says when, when, when Samuel went looking, for, uh, went looking for the next king, he looked at older kids, he looked at his older brothers, he looked at Jesse's boys, and he thought he had seen them all, and then he realized that not all of them were there. And he says, where's... David, or bring David to me so I can meet David. And when he saw David, his spirit inside of Samuel said, that's the man. Because, see, God taught Samuel a lesson on the road of life there that it's not just looking at the outward appearance. It's not how old are you, where you stand in life, and what pecking order you are, and how educated you are. God, listen to this. You've got to get this one down. God is looking at your heart. Is much as more than he's looking at your appearance, more than he's looking at your abilities. He is looking at your heart. And if you're going to be one of these, if I can use the analogy, the puzzle pieces that God favors, that God uses, that God goes from being a shepherd boy to being a king, then you better make sure your heart is bent towards God. Because 1 Samuel 16:7 says, For a man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks, the Lord looks at the heart. So there's no doubt that part of David's success, if you want to call it that, in life was that his heart was bent toward God. But there's another thing. His relationships played into it too. His relationships helped sustain him through life. Now we talked last week. If you missed last week, you'll have to catch up with us online or something like that. But there's four key relationships that I want to say that helped make, helped make David. These four relationships are four relationships that every one of us still today need in our life. 
Last week we talked about companionship. David had a companion in in Jonathan. Jonathan was that companion in David's life that got him through some of the toughest, life-threatening moments in his life. And I can't go retell that story, so just have to catch up with us on it. But Jonathan was his companion. Jonathan was his, his friend. Jonathan was the, his soulmate that enabled him to go further in life. But there's another friend I want to introduce you to today. His second friend is that friend that we all need. We all need a companion, but we all need also accountability. His second friend is named Nathan. Now, Nathan is a beautiful name, and actually the name means gift. And there's no doubt when you look at David and Jonathan's relationship that Nathan, excuse me, Nathan and David's relationship, there's no doubt in my mind that Nathan was a gift from God. Because, see, David had slipped into this kind of mode in his life where he was the king. See, when you're the king, you make up the rules, don't you? When you're the king, you get to decide which pawn moves where and which... Uh, which checker piece moves where. You get to decide the rules when you're the king. But then you've got to realize, and David realized it on this time, that you might be the king of your own little domain. You might be the king of your house. You might be the king of your team at work. You might even be the, team of the, the king of the entire company. You might be the king of, uh, of, your, of your sports team. But you still, and I still, have to operate under God. That there's nobody exempt from that. That we all have to operate. I don't care if you're King David or who you are. We all have to operate under the system that there are greater laws that are greater than my law. Because see, what David did is he had almost a sense of entitlement. He began to think that, that he could make up his own rules. And you know the story, and we'll get into that. But I want us to just realize that the metaphor we're speaking of, when I say game, I'm speaking of your life. Your life and your, is the game that we speak of today. So I want us to give you three rules to the rules. All right? Number one rule to the rule is this. Every game has rules. You know what? I picked up every one of these boxes. I didn't have to wonder. I didn't have to think. But I just went through our closet this morning before coming. And you know what? It didn't take me two seconds in each game to find the rules. Every single one of those games had rules. Now, we may not like the rules. We may want to rewrite the rules. But for optimum enjoyment, for optimum success, to go from being a shepherd boy to being a king of a country, to be able to do that, I must operate within the rules of life. And I got to understand that. I may not like it. Every, every, everything has rules. You have, you, many of y'all work for a company who has a code of ethics. If you do, raise your hand. Code of ethics. You probably had to read it and sign it and said that you had read it and you understand it and you will abide by it. You know what? Your kids went to school the first day. And I would dare say, I'm just betting on this one, your kids went to school the first day a couple of weeks ago and they came home with a truckload of papers. All right. They were read all the rights and the rules and the and the consequences and they killed so many trees to get you that paper home. All right. And you were then after they had all the rights and the rules read to them. What did you do? You had to read them and you had to sign them to make sure you knew what the rules that your son and daughter were going to have to obey at school. We live in rules. We work in rules. You get on the highway. You operate in limits and lines called rules that we have to live by. It's interesting that even missionaries, you'd think missionaries, oh, they're the godliest of the godly. You know, they don't have rules. Well, this is the, what we call the MOP, the, mission, uh, the Missionary Overseas uh, Personnel, something like that. And uh, this was our personnel manual that we had to live by when we were missionaries. Now, it's really funny. And it's actually entertaining to read this because you go through and you read these and they, they give you a new page or a new two, three pages every quarter or so and there will be a new rule in there. Well, you know what that means. That means there was some creative missionary out of the 5,000 who got real creative and did something that they said, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore. So they make a mop. And that's how all these pages got in here is because people were trying to do stuff that maybe weren't, wasn't exactly right. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you think you are. You have rules and I have rules. And we have to live in those. 
Rules, though, do not limit us as much as they make life fun. When I operate in the rules of life, when I'm driving down the road, you know what? I enjoy driving when everybody around me is operating in the rules. I enjoy going to work when everybody shows up at work, when you're supposed to show up at work, gives an honest day work, and everybody's doing it and they're operating by the code of ethics. Life is a lot more fun when we operate in the rules. You know why? Because the same rules that make optimum pleasure in a board game are the same rules that make it optimum pleasure in life. When I operate in the rules of life, which is this book that I hold in my hand right here. And I operate in these rules. And I know it's an intimidating many, many books and many, many different writings. But you know what? The great thing about this one, this is told in many stories. And you can read this book and get the rules of life and figure out how I'm supposed to live. Well, you know the story of David. He was the king. He didn't have to operate, he thought, by the rules. And so... Most of the time, the kings would go out in in springtime and go out to war. If there was a war going on, they would go out with their soldiers and train. They would go out with their soldiers and fight. They would go out to the battles. And there's an Ammonite battle that's going on at this time in history. And uh, everybody's out at war except for David. Now, David called this a derelict of his own duties as a king. I don't know what you want to call it. There's a cultural rule that he didn't obey. Now, the cultural rule wasn't the sin. It wasn't that he didn't go to battle and that made it a sin. Who knows? Maybe he had a cold that day or whatever. But he didn't go to war. But what he did do was he found himself in a situation that he could have got himself out of. Let's read the story. Here it will be on the screen. It's 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab. But David stayed at Jerusalem. That was not the sin. That was a cultural faux pas, but that was not the problem. Now, here's where it goes wrong. Now, when evening came, David arose. Now, it's interesting, when you're the king, you get to lay in bed all day, I guess. Because it's evening, and now he's getting out of bed. All right? It's evening, and he arose from bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. Very common in Israel, very common in other parts of the world that the patio or the, where the living space of, of the family is on the rooftop. Very much true in Mali, Africa. Very much true in Israel still to this day. So he's on top of the roof and he's just looking out across his kingdom. And all of a sudden, he sees something. On the roof of the king's house and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now you've been to Sunday school and you know the rest of the story. Yada, yada, yada. She gets pregnant And uh uh-oh, he's got problems. Yada, yada, yada means that you know what happened whenever he calls Beth. I'm going to call her Beth from this point forward. He calls Beth to be with him. I don't know how many times Beth was with him, but it was enough, obviously, to conceive. And so as he's with Beth and Beth's with him and they're together in their rendezvous state, now he's in a situation where Uriah is at battle, his warrior is at battle, who is Beth's husband. Now what am I going to do? There's no way that we can say that you, this is Uriah's child because Uriah's not here. David, Uriah's where David should have been in the first place, but okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. What am I going to do? Well, I don't have time to tell you that whole story in itself, but I'll just tell you the end of it. What he does is he puts Uriah on the front line and pulls back the troops. Real conniving, real slippery, real underhanded, and makes sure Uriah gets whacked. Okay, what would have happened had David confessed? Instead, he concealed. He didn't confess, he concealed. He tried to cover it up. He tried to take care of it himself. He tried to deal with it himself. He developed his own plan. He developed, listen, his own rules. Can't do that in this game called time, in this game called life. You have to operate inside of God's rules, okay? Because even though he chose to do this, this was not at all pleasing to God. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, the very last verse in this chapter, it says, The thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Even though David had done everything he could to cover his tracks, to take care of the problem, to get rid of Uriah, he married Beth. He made Beth's child was going to be his child. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful crafted cover-up. It didn't work that way. 
Because he was living by his own rules and not by God's rules. I can tell you in my life, there was a time when I decided I wanted to live by my rules, which was really no rules. And I thought my rules was, were going to be better than God's rules because God's rules are no fun. They limit me. They won't let me. But I didn't realize that actually God's rules are actually given to me for optimum enjoyment in life. That when God says don't, He's really saying don't hurt yourself. When God says do, He's really saying do bless yourself. You want to be blessed? You want to operate in the optimum potential of life? You want to operate in your sweet spot? Operate in His system of rules. And in that point, then I I can remember, I can take you to this day back to the place. I can take you to the song that was on the radio. I can take you to the situation. I can take you to the very date in my life whenever everything came crashing down because I was living by my rules and how I absolutely felt empty. Empty, empty, empty. It was, to this day, the lowest point in my life. And I can also tell you that in that same 24-hour period, how whenever I was broken and buried my face in the carpet of, of our house and crying, and that I said to God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm ready to go with you, God. I'm ready to go your way, your plan, your rules, your game plan. And it was a sweet moment. It was a high. It was an adrenaline. It was, a, it was, a, it was something that I couldn't find in a bottle, in a pill, or anything else. I couldn't find it in a relationship. And when I got back on His plan and I got back in His rules, when I got back under His leadership, it was sweet. So my, my, my rule for you, number one, is that every game has rules. The second rule that you need to understand about rules is that everyone needs a rule keeper in their game. You need somebody in your life that will help you understand the rules. Now, I'm not saying you need somebody like a mean policeman, parent, pastor who's yelling at you, telling you how bad you are, okay? You know, shaking their fist at you and saying, you know, they don't need that. David had this man named Nathan. Nathan steps into his life. And the thing is, is that Nathan's relationship with David was built on love. See, Nathan held David accountable. He was an accountability partner. Nathan held him accountable because it wasn't Nathan's goal in life to catch, please understand me, to catch David in sin. That wasn't his goal. His goal was that David would catch himself in sin. See, when you're out to catch somebody in sin, you're really not much of a friend. You're actually more of a pain in the neck. All right? You're actually more of a judge and a critic. And a real accountability partner is looking out for you and your best interest. He wants the best for you and is, is wanting, wanting you to stay on track and wants to help you get down this road called life, get through this game called life. And that's exactly what Nathan did. Take your Bibles and look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because what happens now is Nathan tells a parable. He gives a story to help David catch himself okay he helps david catch himself so just jump into the story with me verse chapter 12 verse 1 then then the lord sent nathan the gift of you know to david and he came to him and said there were two men in one city the one rich and the other poor the rich man had two men had had many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing except one little you lamb. Now, before we go on, because of the sake of time, you need to understand. But who's the rich man that has all these lambs? Has this all this kind of all these lambs and all this livestock? This is David in the story. He's telling a parable. As far as David knows, this is a real life story. Right now, it's being presented to him. Who's the poor man? Who's the one who only has one ewe lamb? That's Uriah. Okay, let's keep going. But the poor man had nothing except one little lamb which he brought and nourished and uh, which he bought and nourished and grew up together with him and his children and, and and it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and he was like a pet 
The other guy had so many out there, it was livestock, it was, it was wealth, it was money to him. This guy loved this little ewe lamb. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now look at David's response. It's beautiful. David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely this man has done this, deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. David pronounced the verdict. This man's going to pay. Look at the next statement. In four simple three-letter words, this is what Nathan said. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. See, David had been to Sabbath school, and he had learned, because David was a religious man. David was a moral man. David was an ethical man. You even see him trying to impose ethical laws, moral laws, on this guy who's supposedly stealing from people, and this is just not right. David was a just man. But there was one little area of David's life that was going unchecked. He was right over here. I'm sure he continued to give to the temple fund. I'm sure he continued to serve in, the, in, 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 in every way he could in the tabernacle. I'm sure he continued to do all of that. But there was one area of his life that he had not confessed, but he had concealed it. He didn't expose it. He concealed it. And when he did that, Nathan held him accountable. See, he had forgot the verse in, in Sabbath school in Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 where it says you can be sure that your sin will track you down. It will track you down. I don't care if you're the king or who you are. It will track you down. And see what happened on that day and you just imagine because David doesn't say anything for a while. He just listens. And David, uh, Nathan just continues to talk. and continues to talk. And it was some verses later that David said, I've sinned. See, because at that point, David couldn't hide it any longer. And don't you know, please, please get in his skin for just a moment. Don't you know this was eating him alive? Don't you know that, that, that this was an ego punch in the gut? Don't you know his pride was now compromised? Don't you know that his cover had been un- uncovered? Don't you know he couldn't hide it any longer? And his ego and his pride was on the line. A good friend, one that you connect with. Everyone needs a companion. Everyone needs accountability. When you have an accountability partner, a rule keeper in your life, guess what? They're going to hurt you at times. But they're going to hurt you to make you better. Here's a verse for you. Proverbs 27, verse 6. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you. Literally translated in the Hebrew, trustworthy are the bruises caused by the wounding of one who loves you. You know what? When you have somebody like a Nathan in your life, somebody who will hold you accountable, you know what? They're not going to be a yes man in your life. They're going to be one who's going to ask you the tough questions. They're going to be the one who's going to come before you and they're going to try to you know, they're going to point out some things to you and you're not going to like it. And it may hurt your ego and your pride. But there's several rules. Because, I mean, this whole idea of accountability is really hard for a lot of us to get our arms around. It's hard for me. But, but let me give you a couple, of, I think, guidelines on, on accountability. Jot them down. Number one, accountability works best. And these are best practices. Works best when it's based in redemptive love. If I'm out to get you, that's not redemptive love. Tell the truth in love, the Bible says. Accountability based in this idea that I want to make your life better. It wasn't Nathan's goal to crucify David. It was to correct David, not crucify him. In fact, John Wesley said it like this. He called accountability watching over one another in love. 
Who is it in your life right now who's watching over you and you know they're watching over you in love? Who are you watching over right now and you're watching over them in love? That's the beauty of accountability. When you have somebody in your life who's trying to make your life better, being a spiritual life coach to you, like a Nathan is to a David, I don't care if you are the king, you're still held accountable. The second thing about best practices among about accountability is accountability works best when it's mutual. When it's not me holding you accountable, but you can't hold me accountable. We built it into the constitution of our church when I wrote the constitution. Only church I've ever seen that has a constitution statement that says this, there will be mutual accountability in the officers of the church. Between the deacons and the pastor, there is mutual accountability. They're accountable to me and I'm accountable to them. There's mutual accountability. That's a healthy environment when you have that. Do you realize even Nathan needed a Nathan? Nathan wasn't perfect. Jot this passage down. Read it in your own time. 1 Chronicles 17, 2-4. Whenever Nathan was held accountable by God, and God had to correct Nathan. I don't care who you are. You need somebody in your life who will point their skinny little finger at you in love and help get you on the right track. But that you can do it the same back to them. No one's exempt. Here's another rule about account, or here's another quality of accountability is accountability only works. Now the other ones were best practices. But this one is absolute truth. Only works when there's authenticity and transparency. If there is not authenticity, that that no fakes allowed, you're real for real authenticity, okay? If there's no transparency, I'm going to really open up to you. There's not accountability. I'm going to open up to you this much of my life, but not this much of my life. This is my private part. Then there's not accountability. You've got to have that trusting part. You know, you need to be able to say to your accountability partner, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with with addictions. I'm struggling with, with alcohol. I'm, I'm struggling with, with, with drugs. You know, the white-collar drug of our day and age is prescription drugs. I mean, very big problem that we have going on. I struggle with drugs, addictions. I struggle with pornography. I struggle with fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is. I, I struggle with anger. I, I have an anger issue. I can't ever kind of get myself together on that. I struggle with work. I neglect my family and my faith because I'm so committed to my work. I struggle with debt. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. I can't give. What are you talking about giving? I'm so consumed with myself and my own spending habits. I can't give. I can't go. I can't do. I can't help someone. I'm lazy. I'm out of shape, overweight, and I don't care. You know, I... I'm struggling in these areas. I'm, I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. What is it? You say, I don't have anything. I can't think of anything. Well, I'll tell you what yours is. Yours is pride. I'll just give you yours right now. Listen, I struggle. You struggle. And if you don't see the struggles, realize that that's the struggle you're having is you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it, so you can't share it. You need to learn authenticity. You need to learn transparency. You need to be willing to go deeper than you've ever gone before with an accountability partner. I mean, it's absolutely key. Robert Fulgram, in his kindergarten rule book called All I Really Needed to to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, said one of the rules of kindergarten says it like this, when you go out into the world, watch out, hold hands, stick together. I think that's a pretty good rule. Who are you watching out for? Who are you going into this world with? And who are you sticking together with? That's accountability. I want Mike and David to come up here just a second. Because accountability is really hard to put your arms around. And we even talked about this in our creative worship planning time. How are we going to communicate this? And so I've got a couple of guys here who actually are practicing um, in an accountability relationship. Um, and so I wanted them to come up and share with us, not only because they're doing it, because I want you to notice that these are guys, all right? Guys aren't good at this. Uh, but, uh, and these guys 
Well, you tell me, what? how long have y'all been holding each other accountable? How long have y'all been in this kind of relationship? Uh, about a year. Okay. Um, is this, okay, you all, you all got into a, an accountability relationship, and what does that look like, I guess, on a, on a regular basis? What is accountability? Because, I mean, this is, again, I think for some people, a new, a new concept. So what does accountability look like for y'all? Like the nuts and bolts of how Yeah, we I guess, yeah. We, um, we talk every Tuesday morning at 6.30, and we talk pretty much as long as it takes. I mean, sometimes it goes longer, but, but uh, we, we talk about the things that we struggle with. We talk about the things that we were accountable for the week before, maybe, or even are supposed to be accountable for for a long time. Um, so we, we discuss a lot of things that are mostly guy things, mostly, you know, we talk about work, we talk about getting in the word, we talk about our relationships with our wives and we, we talk every Tuesday and then we try to get together also some. Now, now both of y'all are, are busy guys. You, I mean, you work for Walmart, uh, and you supply to Walmart and so you, and you don't hobby together. I mean, you're a biker and, and, and you're a tennis player or racquetball and, so it's not like this was just, you know, you all are in the same team together or whatever. Um, how did your relationship come together? Where did it begin? Well, we formed a relationship. Uh, Susan and I lead a body life group at our house, and we got to know Dave and Melody really through that. We met him a time or two before that. Oh, i got to interrupt you. Where did you, where did you form this relationship? He's doing some selling here. <laughs> Body life. Say it one more time. Where did you all form this relationship? Body life. life. All right. Body life. Okay, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Actually, I did, but go ahead. So, anyway, we just, we just got to be comfortable with each other and comfortable with, uh, with each other's values or, or where we felt like our values sh- should be. And uh, eventually Dave approached me about uh, becoming accountability partners. Okay, how long you you've had accountability partners for some time, right? Yeah, I had a, a an accountability partner for 15 years. Yeah. And we talked every Sunday morning okay. at six. Okay. So I'm thankful that we meet at six thirty. So we we talked, and then uh, we eventually actually got a third guy uh, to meet because we thought the bond, you know, that Scripture talks about the cord being stronger with three, yeah. and uh, so that actually helped out. But when I moved up here, it was very difficult. And I and I had found even when we lived in College Station for seven years, not seeing the person you're accountable to is not a good thing. So it was it was difficult um, to be accountable in everything. Yeah. Uh, while we could while we didn't know each other. So uh, give me a give me a picture a little bit more even of time commitments because y'all are both busy. You're traveling. In fact, you're running out of here to catch a plane. And uh, so you're you're constantly traveling and doing and and, and being. Are y'all meeting together for an hour or two hours every week? I mean, what do you what do you mean when you say you meet weekly? Uh, it's an hour, plus or minus Tuesday mornings. Um, last week ran over a little bit. We both kind of had a lot going on. Um, sometimes it's thirty minutes, and then we try to meet in person. No, I actually talked to him from the parking lot of the Walmart home office. On the phone. So on you're phone. on the phone doing this mm-hmm. kind of... And I'm in bed. Uh. <laughs> Walmartian, non-Walmartian. <laughs> All right. Smart, not so smart. <laughs> All right. Old, young. Okay. So a lot of diversity there. I don't know where we're going now. but um, So has this helped your life? I'll, I'll speak from... Uh, I I need accountability. I'm not a uh, I, I'm a guy that that some somehow doesn't see God all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to say out of sight, out of mind. He can't see me. I can't see him. Uh, when in reality, I know that's different. It's easier to to put that in the back of my head. So for me, I need accountability. I needed to go and find. I was looking for somebody to be accountable to because I need that in my life. So. Um, as, as far as important and things to me, it's, it's a vital part of my life to know that I have a guy that I can trust, that I can tell him when I need prayer in this area, I'm struggling. Or, 
Or even if it's just like, you know, I need prayer for my family. My granddaughter's having surgery. I know he's going to check up. He's going to ask me. He's going to. So he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you not only those personal questions, but is he going to go deep into your life? Are you all going to go deep into one another and just kind of hold each other? Again, the word accountable, kind of keep you on track when you start to see one another veering off track. Yes, we ask very pointed, hard questions. Why don't you tell about your job change you shared in the first service and kind of how that kind of fit into your accountability time? Sure. Yeah, I, I took a new role. Oh, God, last, last August now, but in the beginning, it's, as you all can relate, in the beginning, the first weeks are easy, not much going on, nobody knows you exist, so it's easy. But come, come fall, the workload was coming in faster than the team I was supposed to hire. And, you know, my wife's sitting over there, and I was just a, I was a jerk. I wanted to go home and fight, quite frankly. I was irritable, and, and I, you know, you've you got to perform at work. So, you know, coming home to take it out um, and just – Finally, had enough courage to, to share that with Mr. Mills over here, and and uh, it, it has a huge impact because the next week he would ask me, "So are you still being a jerk?" Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so he asked you point blank, hard questions, whatever. And I, and I didn't want to be in a position where I would say, "Yes, I'm still being a jerk." So it really made me think think about my behaviors and and uh, how I was carrying my stress in my life. Awesome, awesome. Give these guys a hand. You know, I appreciate them doing that because, again, I, I don't see many men doing this. I don't see this something that men gravitate towards. But it literally, to just give you David's perspective again, David was on a path for a train wreck in his own life. Because even though, even though he was the king, and can make the rules and the laws and be the law enforcer, even though that he was still dying on the inside. It saved his life because he had somebody who loved him, stepped into his life and said, this isn't right and I see it and you know it and we're going to have to get back on, on the right track. David was was being eaten alive. In fact, here's just a couple of verses to close on. Psalm 32, 3 and 4 says it like this. When I kept silent about my sin. Now this is David writing. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality has drained me away as the fever heat of summer. I mean, literally inside of him, he was wasting away. There's a Swiss uh, doctor who has written a book called Guilt and Grace, Paul Turnier. And he's a writer, he's a physician, he's a psychiatrist, and he says this, he said, there are two kinds of guilt out there. There's false guilt and true guilt. False guilt is the guilt that you heap on yourself when you feel like, okay, what I'm doing is, is not right. I'm not living up to my parents' expectations. I'm not this. I'm not that. And you just kind of heap guilt, guilt, guilt on you. That's false guilt. Get past that. Or when somebody else tries to heap guilt on you, get past that. He said there's true guilt, though, is whenever you know, you know, you know what you did was not right. And you need to get it right. That's true guilt. And David went through that. In Psalm 51, it even talks about how in Psalm 51, how he, uh, he goes through this period of confession. And this is what he says in, in, in several verses. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He was trying to get things right again. And the rule here is that basically everyone who plays, uh, every, this is, the, th- this is the, the final rule, everyone must play by the rules if they want to win. And see, David had not been playing by the rules. One last verse is in Psalm 32, verse 1. It says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared the guilt and who lives, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. See, David was made right. He got right and he was able to win in life because he had somebody who loved him and they were in a relationship together enough that he would hold him accountable. I want to close by reading one quote by Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers. He says it like this, Nobody is a whole team. We need each other.
We need someone. Someone needs you. Isolated islands were not. To make this thing called life work, we got to lean and support and relate and respond and give and take and confess and forgive and reach out and embrace and rely. Since none of us is a whole, independent, self-sufficient, super-capable, all-powerful hotshots, let's quit acting like we are. Life's lonely enough without our playing that silly role. The game is over. Let's link up. I'd change one phrase in that. The game is on. Let's link up. We need to get into the game with somebody else. And we need to be in this game with somebody else. And we need to love and accept them and hold them accountable. And they need to love and accept us and hold us accountable. We'll be better. Your family will be better. Your life, your career, your eternity will be better. Would you pray with me? Just with every head bowed and just a thought for a moment. This series of messages is about four key relationships that you need. You need a companion. Today we talked about you need an accountability. Somebody who will lovingly point their skinny little finger in your face and help you get on the right track again. This doesn't happen without the right environment, the right place, the right everything. We've talked about body life groups and we're kind of emphasizing it for this month and letting you kind of start with some new groups and kind of develop these relationships. I just hope in your heart you're willing to be that vulnerable, that transparent, that authentic. You need it. Take this as a word of affirmation. You need it. And other people need you. Father, you are awesome. You are God. Your life flows from you. This game comes from you. We're not just simple pawns that get moved around on some checkerboard. But Lord, we can willfully choose You today and choose Your rules. We can make up our own and live with the consequences. Lord, we can live in a relationship with You and others and it be a sweet life, a life that takes us from shepherding to kings if we go with You. Lord, draw us close to You as we worship You.